Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, coming to you live from America's heartland here in Nebraska. Now, during the break, you can go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com, and learn more about me and my business offerings. And of course, you can contact me by emailing me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership. Go to Voice America in the Empowerment Channel. And of course, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Today's show is called Attracting the Right Talent, and that includes leadership. And joining me today is Dr. Riley Harville. Now, Dr. Dr. Harville brings over 30 years of coaching, training, and employee selection experience in both local government, that's police and fire, as well as Fortune 500 companies. As a productivity coach, he has helped hundreds of cities and organizations identify those employees who would deliver world-class service and productivity. And we're talking about employees at all levels, from entry up to sea level. So Welcome to the show, Dr. R. Harville. Matt, yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Now, you and I both know leaders across the spectrum are facing a lot of challenges with pressures to innovate in a fast-moving environment, do more with less, and of course, not to mention recruiting, hiring, training, mentoring, and coaching talent, all with the goal to get them on board and minimize turnover. It's a gargantuan task there. And what makes today's conversation particularly attractive is your expertise in the area of using assessment tools to aid in that process of getting the right talent. And while I say assessment tool, there's much more involved with, with this that we'll uncover over the course of our conversation today. So to the listening, the listening audience, this is a live call-in show. You have a question or a comment, please give us a ring and let's engage this conversation with Dr. Harville. All right, Dr. Riley Harville, before we get started, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this field of talent selection, coaching, and consulting. All right. Well, so once again, Matt, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been excited all week to share my thoughts uh, on this topic. I have a particular passion for it and a lot of personal connection to it. I, uh, I started out as a professor of counseling psychology and ran a private counseling practice for many years. Uh, in my teaching role, my graduate students, uh, often when they graduated, they'd go to work in business and industry, law enforcement, and repeatedly they'd call me back and ask my advice about hiring practices or troublesome employees or whether I could help them interview candidates for open positions, things like that. Well, it didn't, didn't really take me very long to realize that interviews alone were ineffective, and that's kind of what I was using. I thought because of my advanced degrees and all that that I would be, I'd have more insight. I would uh, kind of have the, the magic touch for, for hiring the right person. But I soon realized that I was contributing some to bad hiring as well. So the next thing I did is I turned to psychological instruments, those that I'd frequently used, um, you know, in my own private practice. And I, I did that because... These tools told me what was going on inside an individual's head and to some degree were predictive of future behavior. 
But even these didn't give me exactly what I wanted, but I really didn't know why until I came across the concept of job fit and how people are good to go in some jobs and positions, but not so much in others. And then the light came on because I was experiencing that very same lack of job fit myself as a university professor. Frankly, I was bored. Uh, with, and, and, and I was experiencing a career crisis. Here I had spent all this time getting educated, and um, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't like what I was doing. And then it was, a job, it was a type of job fit assessment that saved me, kind of triggered me to change careers. And, and now I feel much more of a sense of fit. So it was kind of like putting a puzzle together for myself. Now, now I help other companies do that same thing, and they're hiring and promotion practices. And when you talk about job fit, we hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, of course, in all kinds of organizations and in discussions about uh, about talent. And I completely resonate with what you're saying about being in that position and just simply it does something's not right and trying to figure that out, which is a great springboard for our discussion today. You know. There, there are some ramifications involved when making bad hiring decisions. I can say for myself, I've hired great people and I've hired, I made some bad decisions there. And yeah. so the, on the peripheral, what are some of those, the costs that are, you know, as a result of bad hiring that organizations absorb? Yeah, I think this is the real place to start, Matt. Um, you know, it's, I think it's generally agreed upon that there are at least, you know, four indirect costs. Uh, at least I've found this to be evident in my own work. You know, there's first of all, there's the damaging impact on a team when one or more employees are underperforming or they carry around a bad attitude, and it has a tendency to uh, negatively. It, it has negative effects, even sometimes devastating effects on the rest of the team. And, it, and it's the rest of the team who are the ones who have to pick up the slack. And then what happens next is that good employees will resent having to put up with nonsense, or morale tends to suffer, standards tend to drop, you know, kind of to the lowest denominator, and eventually one or two things happen. Either the better employees will quit, or those few bad employees will spoil the whole group, kind of like one apple spoils the whole bunch. And then uh, overall, team, team and department morale and, and performance suffer. Secondly, though, there are actually four things that are more indirect, uh, there's a negative impact on customers. You know, bad hires actually usually oftentimes don't seem to grasp their job responsibilities. They may look for shortcuts. They may upset customers uh, due to poor customer service. And keeping a bad employee eventually damages the brand. Uh, the third thing that I run across is that time gets spent on performance management. A bad hire sucks up the time and the focus of a manager. And, you know, instead of coaching and developing other people, instead of creating this kind of coaching environment and moving forward, you know, supervisors and managers tend to be caught in this endless cycle of having to listen to complaints from people or spending inordinate amounts of time giving corrective feedback or handing, handing out discipline and eventually moving through kind of a painful disciplinary process, all of which takes up, you know, usually a lot of time. And then the fourth thing, and there are probably more, but these are sort of the things that I was thinking about before coming on here, 
There's the manager's reputation. You know, everybody's going to make bad hiring decisions now and again. Uh, that, that's just probably inevitable. But consistently bad hires tend to give the manager a reputation as incompetent. And, and then sometimes they're gone too. What you also then find, of course, is that a manager who hires somebody who's a really bad employee, they oftentimes tend to stick with them. They, they use kind of the warm body theory that, you know, we, we can't do without this person. I've heard that hundreds of times that we need to keep the slot filled. If we don't keep the slot filled, then other people have to take up the slack. Frankly, I'd rather people take up the slack of, someone, of, a, of an empty position than take up the slack of someone who's incompetent or has a bad, has a bad attitude. Um, you know, then there are direct costs. And by the way, uh, Matt, we actually employ a cost of turnover calculator. And so we can actually plug in dollar figures for, for folks. If anybody, you know, wants to contact me about that, you know, I'll ask them about six or seven questions. They give me some basic dollar figures, and right there on the spot, I can actually calculate costs for them. So what we ca- calculate, for example, are job listing or ad fees, uh, total hours spent recruiting and interviewing, average annual salary of recruiters and interviewers, credit check fees, background check free fees, drug screening fees, annual salary of a potential new hire, and then payroll tax. And it actually will, will pump out a turnover cost. Actually, I was playing around with this, and uh, I just plugged in some numbers. These won't have any bearing on what uh, you know your listeners may experience, but I just put in... Job listing, job listing or ad fees, I just plugged in $1,000. Total hours spent recruiting, I put 40. Average annual salary of recruiters, I put 50000 Credit check fee, I put just 2000 Or background check fee, 2000 Drug screening, 2000 Annual salary of the new hire, I just plugged in 40000 Payroll tax comes out to be 8000 And then you punch the button and it's said $17,964. That's the turnover cost of hiring somebody, and within three months they leave or they don't work out. Mm-hmm. So depending on, yeah, that's, that's a high cost for, for any organization regardless of size. And, and that doesn't even include the costs associated with onboarding or training or productivity loss or things like that. And you mentioned right at first that um, I do a lot of work with cops. I uh, love working with cops and fire. Mm-hmm. But a police officer is one of the highest. They bear one of the highest costs of anybody for training. So you, you hire a cop, and the uh, first thing you got to have to do is, is put them through a police academy. Then you got to buy them their weapons. you got to buy them their uniform. When they get out, they're not ready. Now you put them with what's called an FTO, a field training officer. So you do that for a year. So it's oftentimes a year and a half or two years before they're ready actually to be out on the street. And so that can, it, I've seen a variety of different calculations for that, but that turnover cost can easily be a hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it's, it's it's an exorbitant cost this turnover thing. 
There's a lot of fallout from that, you know, and from what you were talking about, indirect costs, what what resonated with me is when you've got that negativity, you've got customers and you're spending time in performance management, it's, it's like the leadership that's remaining is now spending all their time on fixing things and trying to keep things moving along rather than doing that forward-looking things that they're hired to do. You know, we've got just a couple of minutes before break. And before we go, what what in your mind, where do you think organizations go wrong with attracting the right talent and the right leaders? Oh, yeah, that, that's a great question, Matt. And here, here's, here's my kind of off-the-top-of-my-head answer that I, I've really given this a lot of thought, however. Oftentimes, they're not sure what they're looking for or what they really need. See, the biggest mistake I see is the overwhelming practice of hiring based solely on technical expertise or previous experience. In doing so, organizations are overlooking the real culprit in most bad hires, which is attitude. So most of us in this testing industry know, now we know that only a small percentage of people are fired because they don't know their job. In fact, they're more often fired because of bad attitudes. Uh, and, and let me say this, Matt, bad attitudes can certainly exist within an individual regardless of where they are, but a bad attitude can also present itself in an individual who is not experiencing job fit, as, as I've already mentioned. For example, think of an individual who's not particularly competitive, doesn't carry a particular sense of urgency, or who doesn't, real have, doesn't really have a take-charge kind of attitude, and yet they're hired and put in a fast-paced, hard-hitting position with, a lot, with not a lot of managerial support. Now, a lot of sales jobs can be like this, but this mm-hmm. person needs a job, so they try to soldier through it. They, they, they're trying to be a good employee, but they know they're not keeping pace and they're not measuring up. Pretty soon, they exhibit withdrawal or grumpiness but put them in a more process-oriented position where the pace of the work is different, and they're not evaluated against quotas, they exhibit a much better fit. Suddenly that same person who was grumpy and withdrawn now appears happy. It's absolutely magic. And you've heard the phrase, hire for attitude, train for skill. Well, I like to say hire for attitude and place for fit. After all, it's, it's the organization's responsibility to find the right place for people when hiring. In my opinion, it's not effective to hire and then force fit people in a role. And, and let me say this, one last thing. I know you've got to go to break, but the best marketing tool is a high-performing atmosphere or culture. If people like their organization. They're going to recommend their friends and family. And guess what? Great employees tend to refer great candidates. Poor employees tend to refer poor candidates. Uh, and, and organizations that don't hire great employees don't have bench strength for future leadership. So it's very much like a major league baseball team with a bad farm system. No, nobody effect, who's effective is waiting for their turn for the major league. And I, I, I'm so glad you brought that all together, that bad attitude part and the fit part. And that that really ties in nicely with when I always talk about like energy attracts like energy. And if you, if you have the right energy, the people working for you, that's what will be attracted to your, your organization. We need to go to break here. And on the other side of the commercial, I want to explore and go in deeper about how assessment tools kind of can really impact hiring 
for the right fit. So what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and take a break. During that time, please go to my website, Transformational Energy Leadership, and check out my coaching, consultative, training opportunities. And this is a live call-in show, so feel free to call in after the break. See you back here in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you are looking for your own personal journey of peace and balance while living and thriving in our sophisticated world, tune into A Voice of Reason with Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Serdell. The show is one part spirituality and one part psychology. We have so many opportunities for growth in the challenging times we face today. On this program, we discover the resources and scientific breakthroughs to master the challenges and find success. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I hope you enjoy taking a look at my website during the break. I'm joined today by Dr. Riley Harville, who's an executive coach, trainer, and consultant with particular expertise in helping organizations attract employees who will deliver world-class service and productivity. If you have a question or a comment, please call in and be part of this conversation. Now, before the break, Dr. Harville and I were talking about the fallout from making bad hiring decisions, the indirect and direct costs associated with that, as well as reasons for how organizations how they make they do it wrong and by recruiting the wrong candidates and it really comes down to fit. And so Dr. Harville, I wanted to take the conversation into a little bit more in terms of utilizing assessment tools to aid in the selection of talent. Talk about how you use them and what's the science behind these tools. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, well, first of all, let me say something. You, you got to know the experts in the field of test construction. And uh, I'm certainly proud to say that I'm a partner with Telexis, and one of the foremost test construction experts in the U.S. is uh, Mr. Joe Kissner. Uh, Joe was really foresighted in the concept of success modeling, uh, which is the practice really of identifying the behaviors and traits that exhibit a high probability of success in any type of job. Uh, it's truly revolutionary. I mean... Success modeling was identified in psychology many years ago. Um, You identify those behaviors and traits that are exhibited by healthy, productive, successful people, and then you just we we were teaching other people how to how to do that, how to emulate that. 
Now, years later, Joe does that very thing by identifying those people who possess job-related, success-oriented patterns, behaviors, traits. These are then the people who, you know, if if you can emulate those people, they're the ones who require less training, they exhibit less of a learning curve in a new position. Um, by the way, Matt, the upfront investment in job matching is a drop in the bucket compared to the turnover that we just discussed. But to give you a more specific answer to your question, Matt, test mm-hmm. construction is an involved and, and, argue, and arduous process that uh, actually involves a lot of statistical analysis of hundreds, if not thousands, of test results from what we call norming groups. And what we seek in this process is really the quantification and measurement of some behaviors that are predictive of future behavior. And that's what we're really after. We really want to know what does somebody possess and how are they going to behave down the road. I'm curious, is, it, is there the opportunity for someone to game an assessment like these? Uh, the good assessments actually will have, uh, in the old days, we'll call them lie scales. Uh, is somebody trying to present themselves positively, or, or in some cases, are they trying to present themselves negatively? Sometimes this is conscious, sometimes it's rather unconscious. Uh, the, all the tools that I use, particularly the ones that I just mentioned from Joe and Telexis, uh, has a candor scale. Is somebody really being candid? So within the questions that will, are asked, there will be a set of questions that will ask ridiculous things. Uh, like, do you read the newspaper cover to cover every day? You know, okay. every word. Well, nobody does that. But if somebody's really trying to put their best foot forward, then they may answer yes. Automatically, those types of questions will pop up that this person is not quite being candid. So therefore, somebody like me looks at that and thinks, okay, can we trust the results or not? So um, there, there, there are safeguards built in that keeps somebody from gaming the test, for the most part. Yes, so it's really about, putting that aside, about matching the responses to what you have in terms of patterns of behavior of success from your years of research of doing all this. I'm wondering, is there really, is one assessment better than another? Um, yeah, and that's actually not too complicated. The assessment simply needs to measure what it's supposed to measure. And as I mentioned, it's, a, it's an involved set of statistical exercises that yield what is called a validity coefficient. And, you know, I could bore you to death with all that, and I won't do that. But <laughs> this, this validity coefficient uh, tells us how valid or truthful a test is. And the higher the validity, uh, the more trust we can have that the assessment is actually measuring specific behaviors. And... Um, I don't choose any assessment that doesn't have a very high validity coefficient uh, because I, it won't do me any good, it won't do my clients any good, it won't measure what we think we're measuring, and then we're on the wrong track automatically. So look for that validity coefficient. Good piece of advice. You know, I recently read a Harvard Business Review report, and it pointed out that 80% of employee turnover is due to bad hiring decisions, which pretty much supports, well, it does support everything that you were talking about. And the Society of Human Resource Management also said that 36% of new hires fail within the first 18 months, and 40% of senior managers hired from outside the organization fail within 18 months. So those are pretty staggering. So how do you decide who the best candidate is for your team or your organization? 
Yeah, that that's interesting. And the the actually the interesting thing is that most, if not all, of your listeners already have some great employees and leaders in their organization. Why not capture what it is these folks possess and then use that knowledge to develop models for what you're seeking? And and that's what I like to do. Uh, I, I think it's really hard in a lot of cases to go out and just find somebody out there who's, who's great because how do you know that person is really going to fit within your particular organization and culture? So in other words, Matt, develop success patterns by which to compare candidates. The mistake I've witnessed many organizations make is to randomly come up with characteristics and then rely on candidate interviews to find that type of individual. Now, basically, that sounds okay. But the Mm -hmm. problem that creeps in is called rater bias or interview bias. People tend to see what they want to see in a candidate, and they ignore all information that doesn't fit in their biased model. On the flip side, candidates are there to get a job, as I've already mentioned, so they're going to put their best foot forward in an effort to impress the interviewers. Here's a silly analogy. Think back on that young man or woman that we dated back in high school or college. It didn't matter what their mannerisms, habits, or quirks were. They were adorable. So we ignored all those (laughs) things. You look past them because you and I were idealizing them. The assumption and expectation, which is false, by the way, is that they'll always be this way. But an amazing thing happens somewhere between 6 and 12 months later. Suddenly, all these quirks become irritating, and you wondered back then, what in the world am I doing with this person? <laughs> or at least in my case, Matt, she was probably wondering what in the world she was doing with me. Then <laughs> this is the same in hiring. That bold and decisive individual becomes dominating and controlling over time. That extroverted entrepreneurial person can become self-centered over time. That sensitive, team-oriented person can become withdrawn and passive, passive-aggressive if they're not properly coached. And that analytical, information-oriented introvert can become hypercritical. But without data, your personal biases will get in the way and you won't be able to see the real person right there in front of you. And, you know, yes, I- think about a young candidate sent to you by somebody you really like or admire. Perhaps that referring person is a former colleague or maybe a personal friend. You know, the comments are that this young candidate is a real dynamo with a lot of drive and a self-starting attitude. Who wouldn't want that? So automatically, we will tend to imbue that young candidate with those same characteristics. It will be next to impossible to be objective, and the potential result could be a bad hire. The key is to rely on data and the science. I agree. And- the honeymoon's over. Yeah, the honeymoon's over. I, I agree. We are plagued with bias. Whether we realize it or not, we just simply are in how we view the world. What I hear you saying, too, is the use of assessment tools and done right and properly can help circumvent some of those biases so that you're making a decision that's sound uh, and more informed for the organization. You know, I once the hiring decision's made, how do you maintain your and your team's daily motivation and inspiration despite obstacles, pushback, or setbacks? And we've got about a minute here, Riley. <laughs> well, yeah, that's up to the manager. It's, it's the manager's job to hire, uh, to train, and to retain. And so uh, you and I, in fact, were talking, I think, last week about you know, some good books, and we, we might be able to talk about some of these before we finish. But 
some good books like The Leadership Challenge, for example, is a really good book. And um, Making Character First, I may mention these once again, but it's, it's, it's all about management creating an inspired vision and then creating a, a positive, principled way of, of in maintaining accountability in the organization. A lot of that comes about through regular coaching meetings. Um, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't work, and I'll, I'll put my plug in for this right now, is that um, performance evaluations don't, don't really work overall. And lots of organizations are trying to get away from that because people want personal relationships with the boss, and they want the boss to be inspiring. They want to be mentored, and they need somebody who um, will recognize and appreciate them. And you talk a lot about the boss. Quickly, how does how does the leader's energy fit into all of this? Oh, the leader, that, that's, that's almost everything. The leader's got to be uh, authentic, enthusiastic, reliable. Uh, they do need to be experts. They, they do need to be knowledgeable. They need to show appreciation. They've got to recognize the greatness in other people. Doing all that, that's infectious, Matt. So that, that is really a leader's responsibility. Yes, I completely agree. And here we are. We're coming up on another break. And when we return, we're going to talk about some of the most pressing issues that leaders are facing today. And you've already brought up quite a few here, of course, is getting the right talent in, what's the right method to find the fit that works, and to really rely upon the people in the organization to help solve or, or address that. So what we'll do is, everyone, this is a live show. If you have a question, please feel free to call in, and we'll be right back after this two-minute break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you left the cage that held you back but find yourself in the wild of your life wondering, what do I do now? I'm Dr. Lisa Cooney and today I'm going to give you the tools to answer that question. Regardless of the issue, your choices of the past no longer need to haunt you. You have the power to change that and to create from a space of fun and ease. How different can your life be? Find out. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back today. We have Dr. Riley Harville, who is an executive coach, trainer, and consultant with a lot of experience in what it takes to attract and hire the right talent. In the last segment of the show, we were talking about selecting the right candidates for your company, approaches to maintain a team's daily motivations and inspiration, despite despite all the setbacks that are out there, and how a leader's energy fits into everything. Now, Dr. Riley, I want to go back to asking you, how do you make a great workplace? Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a great, your listeners may have, some of them may have read this book. Uh, it came out some time ago, but I still think it's a great book to refer to. It's the book uh, titled First Break All the Rules by Buckingham and Kaufman. And they were, uh, they did the research and published the book on behalf of the Gallup organization. And they interviewed 50,000 people and asked them, what, simply one question, what makes for a great workplace? And they got a variety of answers. Now, what's interesting about that is that no, nowhere was money mentioned. Nowhere were benefits mentioned by the respondents. But there was a list of 12 things. For example, and I won't go through all 12, it would be too laborious, but first <laughs> thing that pops up is, do I know what's expected of me at work? Uh, another one do I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day? Now, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking mm-hmm. about job fit. And people who have the opportunity to do what they do best is, by and large, a much happier camper than people who aren't able to do that. Uh, the, another one is was really surprising to me because I had never experienced this in my own career, but the respondents overall said, in the last seven days, have I received recognition or praise for doing good work? Or does my supervisor or somebody at work seem to care about me as a person? Is there somebody at work who encourages my development? So as you look at this list, what pops up immediately is that it's not the, by and large, not the technical stuff of the job. It has a lot more to do with relationships and The key ideas that stem from the book are that the best managers reject conventional wisdom. Therefore, they reject old-school methods of hiring. Uh, The best managers treat every employee as an individual. Therefore, you've got to know what their personality strengths are, what their characteristics are. Uh, Best managers don't try to fix weaknesses. They tend to focus more on strengths. you know, they're, they're yeah. concerned about employee satisfaction, um, things like that. Another good book is The Carrot Principle. People, you can read that in one evening. It's a really nice read about how to engage people, retain talent, accelerate performance. And you do that simply by good recognition, good appreciation on a regular basis. The Care Principle, I've, I've actually met the author of that book, and I agree. It's a quick read, but it gets right to the point. And this ties so nicely what you're talking about to some of the topics we have addressed over the course of some past shows when we talk about having empathy. And that ties back to the leadership challenge with Kuzis and Posner, you know, having encouraging heart, for example. Or when we were having our millennial discussion last week, that it's imperative that we have relationships like you were talking about. And when you said in the last segment, companies are going by the wayside with evaluations, 
and trying to be more in the moment, having ongoing dialogue and coaching and, and mentoring and things. And so that book was actually ahead of its time because now we're seeing organizations really starting to institutionalize those methods. Let's move on to what, from your perspective, do you think are the most pressing challenges that leaders are facing today? Yeah, essentially, I think probably, oh, I would say there are probably at least four things, but, you know, it's attracting the right talent for sure. Um, Perhaps as important as that, though, it's developing the next generation of leaders, Um, you know, guiding change, increasingly moving away from technical expertise to people expertise, things like that, overcoming resistance to the whole thing. You know, I... The mistake I still see, and I've kind of mentioned that earlier, is that people tend to still look for technical expertise in their hiring. Now, I'm not saying ignore that at all, but I learned a lesson from, say, Southwest Airlines you know, a long time ago. They're, they're the foremost in believing that you, you hire for attitude and train for skill. And so um, it's something else I used to teach a lot, too is as people move into management, they can't be an expert at everything. They're going to be people way below them who are going to be more expert at something than they are. So the issue now is how do I get input? How do we share ideas? How do I motivate? How do I inspire? You know, that to me is the biggest challenge, is to find people, develop people, who have that ability to transform the organization from um, just command, kind of a command structure, which a lot of police departments still struggle with that. You know, I'm going to tell you what to do, and it's your job to go do it because I told you. You know, as opposed mm-hmm. to um, let's talk about this, let's get together, let's share ideas, let's debate, let's disagree. There's even some military studies that are fascinating. They, I would have never guessed this, but they show that in those companies or in those battalions where leaders ask for input, they actually perform better in battle. Um, I wouldn't have guessed it because the American military system trains people to fight. Well, it still depends on do you trust people in your unit? Uh, Do you feel like people will listen to you? Do you have a right to speak up? I, I can give you dozens of examples where leaders didn't do that with disastrous results. Unfortunately, we hear that. Hopefully, it's it's becoming less, but I'm not sure. But to your military example, there's a great book out there called Turn the Ship Around, and it harkens about the leader of one of the submarines took the lowest performing submarine, and the next year they became the best operational unit out there. And it was taking everything that you just said and saying, wait a minute, you know more about this because you're fresh, you're, you're closer to the task that you're doing, and also about bringing everyone into the conversation, not just operating in isolation as the leader. It's a great read if you haven't read it. You know, when you brought up transformation, and I'm curious in terms of the assessments that you use, are there particular competencies that indicate to you that a leader has potential to be transformative? Oh, for sure. Um, and, and you may have talked about this a, pre, a lot previously, Matt. Let me let me say this: uh, you know, a transformation 
a transformational leader helps organizations move away from what we used to call or what's still called the old school transactional leadership style. Mm -hmm. Transactional leadership focuses on supervision, organization, performance. It's a style of leadership basically where leaders promote compliance, you know, through rewards and punishments and things like that. So, um, you know, transactional leaders are not looking to change the future. They're kind of looking to keep things the same. Now, the transformational leadership is a style where a leader works toward a job fit model in identifying and encouraging needed change and creating a vision. So, you know, one of the first things transformational leaders are able to do is set the vision and sell the vision. You know, that's real important. A transformational leader, in my opinion, has to be a good salesman of the idea, and they have to be able to get people on board, so they've got to be inspiring. Um, They enhance, you know, transformational leaders overall. If you lump them all together and, and ask, what do they all have in common? They tend to enhance motivation. They tend to enhance morale and job performance because they're able to connect the follower's sense of identity and self to the goal or the project, uh, as well as to the identity of the organization. They tend to be good role models for other people. They tend to inspire them to raise their interest in the project. They tend to challenge people to take greater ownership for their work. So these are not, oftentimes, these are not men and women who are take the hill, follow me kind of people, or you go up the hill while I stand back here. They're oftentimes people who say, how are we going to go up this hill together? What are your ideas? Um, you know, what part of this project will you own? You know, how can I support you? Am I doing the best job for you to, to give you a sense of ownership and pride in what we're doing? So it's, it's that type of person, I think, Matt. Vision, modeling behaviors that support values that are deep within them, that authenticity authenticity piece, and then of course, like you were saying, enabling them. So and inviting them into how do we get there? How do we achieve this together? So that leads me into another question I have for you. Someone who's about to take on a new leadership role, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, a brand new employee's gotta they gotta start with one basic thing. They've got to listen and ask questions. Uh, they've got to pay, and they also they they got to pay almost attention, as much attention to what not to do, as what to do. First piece of advice I ask people who are about, and I'm trying to onboard them, or they're about to be promoted, is I always ask them, "Tell me about your previous bosses. You know, tell me what they were like. Tell me what they did. Tell me what they did that worked and what didn't." And the reason I ask that is because I don't want them to emulate the same approaches if that previous leader, boss, was you know, old school. Um, what I want, what I'm looking for now, is for new leaders to pay particular attention to the elements of integrity, which if you break down integrity, I, I think it's a really interesting thing. Normally we think of in- integrity as just honesty. It's much more than that. You know, uh, there are five things here. Let me mention these briefly, if I may. It, it, first of all, is truthfulness. Is the person, is this new leader open, honest, forthright? Do they tell the truth? And do they not tolerate dishonesty in other people? Or do they put up with little white lies? They project little white lies themselves. 
then people are watching leaders. They're watching them closely. Is this individual truthful? Do they say one thing to the upper management, something else to us? You know, if that's the case, I lose trust. Second thing is, I think, is responsibility. A leader who identifies and acknowledges the role when things go wrong, they take ownership, even if the outcome is undesirable. Uh, the third thing is accountability. Uh, and this is a young leader who is perhaps, who, or a new leader who is clear about the expectations they have of people. They're able to hold people accountable for results they need to produce. Um, they notice what's happening. They deal with issues when they arise instead of avoiding them. Uh, the fourth thing is loyalty. And that loyalty means something different now than it used to. You know, when, when I first started to work, loyalty meant longevity. Now it simply means, are, is this person committed to the organization while they're there? Or are they also working on some side ideas and spending time working on their own agenda and they're not working toward the organization's agenda? You know, are they working for the organization, for their team, or are they merely working for themselves? And then fourthly, a lot of, a lot of great business writers are talking about this, which is self-awareness. You know, a sophisticated leader is somebody who takes time to reflect on and understand themselves. They have insight into their values, insight into their feelings, their beliefs, their behaviors, and they're absolutely aware of their impact on other people. So perhaps that's a long answer, but that's how I think of that, Matt. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Truthfulness, responsibility, accountability, loyalty, and self-awareness all feeding into integrity, which... It really, I mean, it supports everything that we've been talking about and what I've been talking about over the course of, of the program. And this makes perfect sense. What I'd like to do is cut to break. And when we come back on the other side, have you give some sage advice to seasoned leaders? And so what we'll do, we'll come back here in about two minutes and we'll recap and talk about what to expect for next week's show. See you here in just a moment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life. Consciousness and Humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Are you ready to tackle the rules of business? You may think you're doing everything by the book. Following your own best practice beliefs, bringing in endless consultants, only to find that your business is not moving forward. That's where you need to stop and figure out where things are going wrong. Enter Business Rules with host Peter Feinstein. Peter and his guests will break it all down for you to help you and your business succeed. Listen Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. We are talking about attracting the right talent. And I'm joined today by Dr. Riley Harville, who's an executive coach, trainer, and consultant with expertise in helping organizations get those right employees and deliver the, the highest quality. And so, Dr. Riley, before we start recapping the show for the day, I want to also ask you, what advice do you have for seasoned leaders out there? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I think it's keep learning. Uh, what I notice in the areas that I work in is that uh, with the more seasoned leaders or older leaders, they become a little bit set in their ways. They stop learning sometimes. These are good people. Uh, they mean well. Um, you know, maybe they're you know beaten down by the environment, or, or whether it's a cop or a corporate environment or something like that. I, you know, it, there's a variety of reasons, but. Keep learning. Keep uh, going to seminars. Keep reading. Talk to uh, younger, newer employees about what they're experiencing. You know, by the way, a new employee is probably more objective. Somebody that's just been on the job about three months is probably more objective about what's really going on than anybody else in the organization. But sometimes they, the seasoned leaders don't reach down and make contact with them. So I think that's very important to keep learning and, and to reach down. The other thing, uh, which I guess may be the same thing, and I may not even label it correctly, but in my own head, it's, I call it kind of keep networking internally. Um, I had a really interesting experience one time. I was consulting with a publicly traded electronic manufacturing lab that actually had two Nobel Prize laureates in their midst. This, this is a high-powered lab. And they were experiencing a problem with one of their outgoing products, and nobody could figure out what the problem was. But there was one individual who was out there on the shop floor. He'd been there for many years. He had no formal education beyond high school, and he said he knew what the problem was. But, of course, nobody would listen to him until the organization had experienced the near loss of the product and had suffered huge losses in what was supposed to be this, this revolutionary, you know, product for sale. Uh, as a last resort, someone had a harebrained idea to look into this individual and what he thought about the problem, and lo and behold, he was right. He was absolutely right that uh, this little guy out there on the shop floor was fixing a problem that a, a Nobel laureate, you know, couldn't fix. You know, the other thing I think uh, seasoned leaders have to do is that they, they've got to continue to show appreciation. They've got to continue to model the way. You know, it's probably true that great leaders model uh, probably more than they talk. We know, we know about, you know, verbal behavior. You, you know, we know the iceberg theory. Only about 10 to 20% of what somebody says is really listened to. It's the other 80 or 90%. It's how they say it. What are they modeling? What's nonverbal? That's what, that's what permeates the organization, you know, and that's what sets the tone. 
and sets the culture. I completely subscribe to that. I've talked about the the iceberg and, and other, well, I use it in my training a lot too when we start making assumptions about others. So the three things you said, keep learning, networking internally, and show appreciation. And one thing I wanted to address with you, that part about the keep learning part, what I'm seeing in a lot of Fortune 500 companies now is they're instituting what's called reverse mentoring and having the younger, the entry level, meeting with senior people so that they're learning from each other. And it's it's working well. In, ba- in fact, the top performing companies are the ones who do things just like that. And of course, the three elements you said there, keep learning, networking internally, and show appreciation. So to recap for the show, we had three different segments today. And if there were three headline things you want us to take away, because remember in the beginning, we talked about bad hiring decisions and hiring for fit. The second segment, we talked about how do you get the best candidates and maintain motivation. And in the third, we talked about the pressing challenges that leaders face today and how leaders can be transformative. When you think about those three segments, what would be three headlines for us to remember for the day? Yeah, the first I think would be that just look, I'm imagining kind of a front page of a newspaper. People have unique abilities, but they don't fit every job. Um, it, it, there's still this old school attitude that still permeates out there a little bit, which is hire somebody and it's their responsibility to make sure that they fit the job. And I disagree. It's the opposite. I think it's the manager's job, the organization's job, to hire the right people for the right position. Uh, and, and most everybody has a unique ability. The question is going to be, do you have a job that will allow that unique ability or set of abilities to shine? Second thing is um, coach instead of evaluate. I mean, that just, I'm just seeing that more and more. I'm getting lots of calls uh, for, from organizations that are saying, how do we get rid of our performance evaluation? Because if we do, what do we do instead? And so... Um, they're kind of they're they're a little bit lost about that. Um, so, it, it, my immediate answer is let's create a coaching culture, and, okay. and that's a real challenge because not a lot of people want that responsibility. It's much easier to evaluate somebody than it is to coach them. Um, coaching means I take responsibility along with you for your performance, but but that's where it's got to go. If you look at Great. millennials. How, how were they raised? Well, they're raised with mentoring. They're raised with parents helicoptering, and so that's what they expect. And All right, the, and quickly, and quickly, yeah. as we've been talking about time, but yeah, what's the third one in 15 seconds? <laughs> praise. Got to praise people. Got to show appreciation. Not as much for achievement, but for character. And so, you know, somebody sold 15 widgets today. Great job. Well, that's praising for achievement. But what about character? Praising for character is focusing on pointing out the words, the actions, and the attitudes that they demonstrate and, and explaining to them how that benefits not only you but other people. Great three takeaways. People have unique abilities but don't, also, um, but don't necessarily fit. Coach instead of evaluate and praise for character. Dr. Harville, I have to say thank you for sharing your sage wisdom. Where It's amazing to me how this time always flies by. I have to mention... 
we have a connection, listeners out there. We're both mountaineers, and so we both went to West Virginia University. For all my listeners out there, anyway, we're going to. Here's a preview for next week. We are going to talk about the concept of mindfulness, and it's really because we're all increasingly connected to information to each other there's just a lot going on how do we maintain control and be confident about how we are spending our time i have a special guest coming in karina chase who's going to talk with us more about this and how to make it real and practical it's not the theoretical how to use mindfulness and things that you do every day do you have a topic you want covered or do you know someone who might bring some more enlightenment to our conversations, please contact me on my website, transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can also email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Get to me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Until next time, harness your positive energy and lead with transformation. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.